This is Someone Like Me, End Slavery Tennessee's podcast working to educate listeners about human trafficking and empower survivors of the crime by telling their stories. I'm Leslie, your host, and today we're talking about foster care. This may seem off the subject of sex trafficking, but when we consider that the National Foster Youth Institute reported 60% of child trafficking victims recovered through FBI raids in 2013 were from foster care or group homes, foster youth and runaways become an incredibly important part of the sex trafficking conversation. So here are some more stats that are pretty alarming. iFoster.org says that there are approximately 424,000 foster youth nationwide, with 8,000 being in Tennessee, and between 50 to 85% of commercially exploited youth are in or have been in the foster system. Here's another fact. When it comes to runaways, about 2.8 million kids run away each year in the United States, and a third of those are recruited into prostitution and pornography. Another stat, about 90% of commercially sexually exploited minors have previous history of child abuse and neglect, and youth who have experienced sexual abuse are 28 times more likely to be exploited than their non-abused counterparts. So when we look at vulnerability and its role in trafficking, there is no denying that to talk about prevention is to consider foster care and the kids who are in it. So today's episode features a conversation with Bethany Christian Services of Middle Tennessee. It's a private foster care agency who works with the Department of Child Services here in Tennessee to recruit and train foster families. Their partnership within Slavery Tennessee has brought an idea for a new program specifically for training families to care for trafficked youth. Marissa and I sat down with Kayla Reese and Ivana Link from Bethany Christian Services to talk about their work and the ways they're preparing families to work with trafficked children. You'll also get to hear a very special survivor voice in the form of a monologue based on a true survivor story that we'll share during the conversation. Do be aware that this conversation has references to adult subjects that may be triggering or difficult for some, so please use your discretion when listening. All right, Marissa, start us off. Okay, so we do Would You Rather questions at the beginning of each episode, just as like a little icebreaker. It's something when I would do groups with youth, we do this and and they like it. So here are your Would You Rathers. Would you rather continue with your life or restart it? Oh my goodness. (laughs) Definitely continue. I'm happy with where I'm at and I wouldn't want to restart because who knows where I would wind up after that. So Yeah, I'd say so. I would continue my life. Not that things are perfect, but I'm, I feel like I'm pretty happy right now. Yeah, pretty content. Pretty content. It's nice to be able to say that. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> I agree. There's this part of me, though, that like with the restart, I would love to go back and and like find my husband when he was young and, and, and all of these little things that you wish you could do over. But then, you know, how it is in the movies, you do that and everything changes. Yeah. And then it, we probably wouldn't even end up together because I'd meddle in something. And, <laughs> and he'd be like, well, that person's crazy. Like and back to the future. Completely write me off. Yeah, so I guess continue. I feel like if I could restart it with the knowledge that I have now, mm. that might be interesting. But uh-huh. there's no footnote to this question. So. <laughs> 
Second one is, would you rather have the power of invisibility or be able to fly? I think fly. That just sounds like super cool. Where would you go? Anywhere. Well, anywhere. (laughs) I have a whole list of countries that I want to go to. So I feel like flying would be super cool. Save a lot of money too. (laughs) Yeah, true. I was thinking about flying, but then it's like... How fast are you flying and does it require energy? Is it like running? Like, will it feel like you're running? And then you're kind of like, "Eh, maybe not. So (laughs) if I knew those answers to those questions, then I would choose fly. But I think I might be edging towards invisibility now. Fly for sure. Fly. Yeah. Because you can kind of be invisible if you fly somewhere where nobody can see you. Right. (laughs) That's true. Get up in those clouds. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thank you, guys. So... We are talking about foster care today, and we have two people from Bethany Christian Services, which is a private foster care agency. Yes. Yeah. So a lot of people don't know that private foster care is a thing. And so I'm really excited that we get to talk about this because it's a fantastic opportunity, not only for youth, vulnerable youth, but for families who really want to get involved. This is a really great program that In Slavery Tennessee is working on with you all. And so, Marissa, I wondered if we could start with talking about, it's such a basic question, but I I don't know that there's a good understanding of what is foster care's role in helping vulnerable youth? You work with the youth at Enslavery. What do you see as foster care's role in that? From what I see, um, it can provide a safe place for the youth when they are, you know, with a family that is not supportive or not a healthy place. And a lot of the time that family, they go through classes, they try to reunify and create a healthier space so that the youth can go back home. I believe that the foster system also, they will address the child's immediate needs when it comes to therapy, mental health services, and kind of wrapping a team around that youth, depending on what their trauma is. I mean, I I think you put that really well. Definitely foster care tries to meet the need with where they're at. So these kids are going through the worst of the worst. They're losing everything, being removed out of their home where everything's familiar into a new home where they know nothing. So just trying to match the best possible home to these children that can provide that love and safety that Marissa was mentioning and take care of these youth while we're waiting to reunify. Yeah. And I I think even the idea of how does a child get into the foster care system? Is there a blanket answer for that? Or is that a really complicated topic? So abuse and neglect, right? So they're going to be more likely involved with the foster care system for neglect. That's where the majority of um, things come from. So you can think of not feeding your child properly, maybe not meeting those medical needs, things like that. And then abuse, of course, we have like severe physical abuse or sexual abuse, maybe a awful domestic violence situation. There's a whole lot of different reasons someone can be discovered by the child welfare system and then enter into that. And I think why this is important then that we get that understanding is when we talk about vulnerability with youth, knowing the risk factors for trafficking, these are some of the things that we know to be risk factors for potential trafficking victims. And so there is this intersection between foster care and trafficking. And so this conversation is such a huge part of that. 
And I think the intersection of trafficking and foster care comes due to the multiple risk factors that youth coming into foster care already have, a prior history of abuse and or neglect, often lacking basic support systems and basic needs. They often come from communities impacted by poverty and violence and where exploitation may already be prevalent. Then they might leave placements and find themselves homeless. And they may also suffer from trauma-related mental health issues. Sadly, traffickers look for and target all of these vulnerabilities. So we know that DCS is what it's called in Tennessee. That would be a public government-run agency. How does a private agency work? How do you work with DCS? What does that look like? Yeah, so Bethany Christian Services in Nashville, we started a contract with DCS in 2020. So like you said, we are a private agency and that's DCS is where we receive our placements from. So we're therapeutic foster care. So our foster parents go through, of course, the normal training and then an additional like therapeutic trainings. What is the therapeutic part? have to do with? Um, there's several options that focus on different areas in terms of therapeutic training. It's about seven hours of therapeutic training that covers just various different topics um, that go through. Those trainings are through the state, but we provide those trainings. So when DCS receives a child, they do an assessment with them and identify if they're like level one, level two, level three. Level three being the more extreme case, like more high-risk behaviors and level one being more mild. And the placements we receive are those level two and level three kids or teenagers. So they require homes that are therapeutically trained. So they may have like more behavior Mm. issues, um, more medical needs, things like that. So Bethany, like we get to provide like that therapeutic aspect to it, that additional training and then that additional support with our, because there's the DCS caseworker and then the, the Bethany caseworker who meets with the foster children and foster parents in the home a few times a month and works on any, you know, social issues, emotional issues, behavior issues, Mm -hmm. things like that. So yeah, lots of support. Yeah. It sounds like you are kind of private agencies get to be really hands-on with the families Mm -hmm. in training and it's a long-term sort of a thing. Yeah. So this season, we've talked about parts of the system to help vulnerable youth that seem to be broken. That's been a large part of our conversation this season. And so specifically when we talk about human trafficking, this comes down to prevention. A lot of it comes down to prevention. So from your perspective, what services are working in the foster care system to aid with prevention in terms of trafficking? You know, there's still a long road to go. I think the first step in any social cause is education and increasing that awareness. And so DCS has made it a requirement for first-year foster parents to take a course specific to child exploitation and trafficking. So it's Mm. two hours long. um, So, of course, it's not going to tell you everything, but it lays the foundation. It makes it hit home once you have those kids in your home and you know that this can affect them or already has affected them. So there's some education, some awareness built into that. And I think also for our foster homes in general and for our foster parents, is it's part of the conversation as we're licensing homes. You know, how can we put protections in place to make sure these kids stay safe? And some of those things nowadays, it's protecting them from all the technology that's out there, things that can entice them Mm. and reel them in that are not good for them in any sense of the form. So 
different, we talk about internet protections, different apps, cell phone monitoring, house rules, things like that, just to make sure these kids stay safe and away from those like apps and other websites that are just, could lend itself to a situation like human trafficking or kidnapping, really anything. Any form of exploitation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that you guys were doing this training. So that's encouraging. Mm -hmm. Good to know. And I think something else a lot of people don't know is you know, a child might end up in the foster system from neglect, Mm -hmm. but they're not going to come out and just say, oh, I was trafficked. They might not even know that they were, but if they're living with a foster Mm -hmm. home for several months, like most of my clients, they don't disclose that right away. It might take time. So as they're building trust and a relationship with the foster family, they might start telling some more of their story. So I think it's amazing that these families are being trained because they can start to identify the red flags or when a child does disclose, they can bring that to your attention and then that child can get more services based around that trauma. For sure. And it sounds like the therapeutic training is incredibly helpful when you're working with kids who are, we've heard it said before that when you're getting vulnerable, sometimes these kids will lash out physically, emotionally, because there's this sort of, I'm trying to protect myself because I've been hurt before. Mm -hmm. You know, and so this training is, sounds like it's incredibly helpful. Yeah. I think it's really neat too, because the parents can kind of pick and choose what they want to do. So if they're more interested in one area, they can Mm -hmm. choose that. Let's say like suicidal ideation, they want to learn more about that and how to talk to someone that deals with that. Or maybe they want to learn more about those aggressive behaviors and how to calm and deescalate a child in care. So they can choose what content to provide this more therapeutic structure where people feel heard and seen. So that's a a neat component for sure Mm -hmm. of becoming a therapeutic foster parent. So we know that around 80%, is that the is that like the, 70 to 80 percent okay of minor trafficking victims are in foster care so there's a very clear connection like we said at the beginning between foster care trafficking what are the things that contribute to this other than general vulnerability or what are the specific things within that that we see is contributing to that intersectionality so I know a lot of our children and teenagers in care have experienced trauma so you already have their brain development being in a different place. So their physical age might be different than their cognitive age, which might be different than their emotional age, and all these are expressing differently. So we have that in addition to your normal adolescent brain, right? That's going (laughs) through all these different changes. Their frontal lobes are growing in that capacity to make good decisions and process through, regulate emotions. And so you tackle on the trauma with normal adolescent brain development and that kind of creates a perfect storm and makes them a lot more vulnerable to to things like human trafficking and that whole idea of, oh, this won't happen to me or this Mm. teenage invincibility that kind of happens and just putting themselves in more risky situations that they're not quite thinking through. Mm. And again, I I don't want to cast the blame on being an adolescent. A lot of this is their trauma experience and how that's expressed in their, their brain development. The first episode of this season, we talk about trauma-informed care and understanding what that means and and the the principles of that. And that has to be the modus operandi when you're dealing with people who have been through massive amounts of trauma. 
So the connection that I see with foster care and trafficking, I think there's a lot that intersects. I mean, I think one of the biggest parts of that is that youth that end up in foster homes that that don't want to be there because, I mean, let's be honest, most of them don't want to be there. They want to be with their parents, even if their parents did something horrific to them. Those are still their parents. That's something you've mentioned before. I mean, that mm -hmm. is still their mom or their dad and they love them. They love them by default, um, regardless of their behavior. So most of these kids don't want to be in foster care. A lot of them run away. And I think that that is a big common denominator. When they run, they're on the street or they're staying with a friend of a friend, couch surfing, and who knows the decisions that they're making that are impulsive from that young mind. And they are very, very vulnerable to manipulation and exploitation at that point. So there is different stats, but they used to say kids that run away and that are on the street are approached by a trafficker within about 48 hours. Some people say 72. Mm. I think that these, these people, these traffickers can sniff out those kids. Like they're they're looking for them because mm. they can actually make a lot of money mm. off of these kids, unfortunately. So a lot of the the youth that I've worked with, whether they've been actual clients that have been victims or prevention clients, I've had tons of prevention clients that actually weren't trafficked would just say, yeah, I've had lots of men just drive up on the street and offer me money for sex or drive up and say, let me just take you on a date or let me take you out to dinner. I have a place you can stay for free and I'll take care of you. And once we go through those prevention classes, they're like, that was that was probably a trafficker. That wow. that was probably someone that was going to harm me. And, and those ones were lucky enough to have said no, you know, or the, mm-hmm. they noticed the red flag. So I think the running away and being on the street is a huge one. I also think that that need for love, all these kids, you know, all of us have a deep desire to be loved. And when they're hurt by their, their family who's supposed to protect them, they start to seek that love and attention. So many of them end up going online, like Kayla said, or falling victim to older men who prey upon them. Mm. And they don't see it as that in the moment because they love them and they want to do what they can to keep that love, what they think is love anyways, Mm. going. So they end up doing things that they really don't want to do because they believe that um, this person loves them. Mm. It's hard. To paint the picture of how this perfect storm of childhood trauma, vulnerability, foster care, and running away can lead someone into being trafficked, we wanted to share Cadence's story with you. This is one of our former client's stories that was adapted and turned into a monologue for our Voices of Freedom event, with her permission, of course. It's a very real example of a youth that was in and out of foster care who became a trafficking victim due to her childhood trauma and multiple vulnerabilities. For privacy purposes, names and details have been changed. I don't know why, but I've always been a runner. Even when I was younger, when things got rough at home, I ran. Out the house, down the street, where to? I could feel him behind me, burning against my back, waiting at home with my sister. The block always curved back around. When I couldn't run, I hid as much as I could, not in any nook or behind any door. I'd close my eyes to another place and wait. 
His heavy breathing could become my measured breath. His weight on top of me. A fire in my lungs, and if I was lucky, I could just about hear it. My own footfalls getting louder, regular and steady, pushing me away. Legs strong, mind blank, only movement. Keep going around the next corner and the next. Focus. I was 12 when my sister and I were first moved away from our father. Even in foster care, I was still always on the run. I stayed with friends when I could. We'd smoke weed, take Xanax, heroin, gone for a while. Then I was moved to a treatment facility. There was this girl there, my friend, Bree. She said she had a place we could stay, so when I was 14, I ran away with Bree. We stayed with her boyfriend for a week until he said, well, what he said was that we needed to start paying him back because nothing in life was free. The first time it happened, he had me in one room and Bree in the other. A random man opened the door to the room I was staying in. He forced himself on top of me. I kept thinking like it was my fault. Like if I wouldn't have run away in the first place, then none of this would have happened. This went on for years. The whole time, I felt as if I couldn't really leave. I was trapped. I was scared because I had seen the other girls get beat. I was constantly in fear of what would happen if I ran, and I didn't even know where I could go to be safe. At my last facility in Nashville, I talked to detectives and the police. They wanted me to testify and give more details, but I wasn't ready. I never really thought I would ever be ready to talk to the police, but I did what I could. To this day, I'm still haunted with nightmares of the night it all started. The bed it started on, the room it started in, the house, the people. I'm back there light humming above me, pressed into the bed by someone else's sweat. But overall, I'm doing better now. The last facility placement helped a lot. There was this social worker. She inspired me, and I want to be able to help kids who have been in the system like me. When I finish school, I'm going to become a social worker. I have a great support system, so yeah, I'm doing better now. So specifically for this conversation, Bethany Christian Services, you are working on building kind of a new model or, or a model that is based off of another model. It's something in Florida, if mm -hmm. I'm right. Florida Safe Foster Homes. Florida Safe Foster Homes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So tell me about this model and how you're working with DCS and in slavery and, and all the organizations. Well, we work with 
Sarah Wolfson, the district attorney yep. here, um, one of the district attorneys in Davidson County, and she deals with the cases that have to do with um, minors that have been trafficked and, and adult women as well. And she was like, we need something better than what's going on today. A lot of the victims would run away from where they were, um, whether it's a facility or a foster home. And so we've been brainstorming for a long time on, on what could we do that would better support these minor victims so that they won't run, so that they'll feel loved and supported. And she had heard of this model, the Florida Safe Foster Homes model. So I was in contact with them, got a lot of information. And then we met with Bethany. I don't even know who suggested Bethany Christian Services, honestly. I can't remember because it started about a year and a half ago. But we met with them and their team and started to discuss this idea of creating a couple of foster homes specifically for trafficked youth. Okay. They would be highly trained. We would step in and help train those families in this area. Um, we would also potentially help in the selection process of those families because it would take a really special family to be matched with a youth with that level of trauma. So um, end slavery would definitely play a big part in that and go into the home, work with the family, work with the youth, maybe even have like family dinners, that type of thing, and just have our hand on it to help create a very, very supportive and informed, safe place for these youth. Mm. So this is something kind of slowed down when COVID hit, but we'd been having meetings with Sarah Wolfson, with Stacia Freeman from Epic Girl. We are all collaborating with Bethany on this idea because everybody really likes this possibility um, of this idea happening. So we're hoping that it picks up momentum again soon. So foster families who are just going through the normal training, let's just say a traditional foster family situation, you said they're only getting like two hours of training on trafficking? So first year foster parents. So you you became licensed and now you're in your first year, you have to get kind of continuing education credits in a way. And one of those classes you have to take is two hours of the... Two hours. Yeah. That's, that's not very training. long. No, it isn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very foundational. So this model really focuses on youth who have been trafficked so that families are well prepared to be able to take care of them. Yeah. In our discussions, we had talked about maybe like 10 hours, you know, and then having them come here to our offices, like we would teach them what we do or mm -hmm. we'd go through cases, you know, that we've worked on and um, share how we resolved issues with those clients. Just really walk them through it because we all want that model to be successful. Mm -hmm. I, and I feel like, you know, if we could help prepare those families along with Bethany um, to the best of our ability, we, we would want to do that. We want to set those families up to succeed because right. these kids don't want to be bouncing around from home to home. They want to find a safe place to land and stay there. And we all would want to just support that, I think, in any way possible. It sounds like a holistic, long game approach, which is what, when you get into learning about this issue, is really what the issue is about. It's a holistic understanding of exploitation and mm -hmm. societal pressures. And it's a long relationship game where some people, it might take years and years for them to realize they had been subjected to trafficking and they, they didn't even know. And you have to be consistently there for them. Marissa, I hear you talk about all the time with the girls you work with, just how they don't quite understand and it's, you just have to be there for them. 
Yeah. You know, and be that solid grounding. And it sounds like what this model allows for a little bit more solid grounding that's informed. That's an informative approach. So can we talk about what happens after someone turns 18? I know this is this might be kind of like an outside mm-hmm. conversation, but I think a lot of people might be curious to know what happens after a child becomes 18 years old. What does that look like? After 18, there's this term like aging out of foster care, right? So if they weren't adopted, maybe they don't have any legal guardians and they're, the foster teens are out there in the world. It doesn't mean that that's their only option. There's also extension of foster care that they can apply to if they're in high school or a vocational program or community college. They can extend foster care to age 21, and this helps with housing, like living allowances, case management. And then in addition to that, there's also the tuition grant that our foster care teens can get and kids, and this helps pay for post-secondary education at a public university. So any of your tuition needs are covered. So Mm -hmm. that kind of gives some options to our teens that age out of care. I'm not going to say that's like the perfect be-all, end-all solutions for all our teens because I don't think there's many that go that route. You know, Mm -hmm. there's some that are just like, I'm ready to live on my own. Like, I'm just going to try to face it on my own. So I think it's important in addition to all those services that are offered that we're instilling that belief in themselves because in order for them to take those opportunities, they need to believe that I can achieve that. So speaking into them as they're progressing throughout the foster care system, preparing them for life after foster care, what that looks like. Yeah, I'm all the youth that I work with, when they are 17, we start having that conversation. I mean, I'm very in support of the extension of foster care. Mm-hmm. All they have to do is meet with a social worker, I think, once a month. They don't even have to live in a foster home. They just need oh, to okay. live in an approved place. And like she said, I believe, like, be in school or have a mm-hmm. job. And then they get, I think in Tennessee, it's like $420 a month, something like that, as like an incentive to help pay for their housing or whatever. And they can get so much of their school covered. <laughs> so some kids opt out because they're just like, I don't want that foster care label anymore. And I'm like, hey, it's unfortunate what happened to you that you had to end up in foster care in the first place. But if this money and support is available for you, even if you don't like the title, why wouldn't you take it? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, <laughs> I, I'll I do agree. the math. Like <laughs> what's 420 times 36 months because they get it for three years. Mm. That's thousands of dollars that you will be missing out on because you don't want to have one meeting a month with the social worker. Yeah. Most of them meet the requirements. Most of them are in school or they have a job. So I'm like, why wouldn't you take it? When you put it that way and you lay the money out on a paper yeah. for them, they're like, maybe I'll think about <laughs> yeah, it. Sure. But they all don't take it. But I think sure. it's great that the support is there because they don't have families that are offering that support. At least yeah. they can take advantage of these programs that are available. Well, that's the wonderful thing about in slavery and particularly this model is if you've been involved with them while they've been in a home, in a foster care situation, you're making relationships with them. So when they do age out, if they don't want to go the route of continuing foster care, they still have relationships with people like you, Marissa. They still can be involved and in slavery so that they don't become vulnerable again. Yeah, absolutely. We carry that through. I tell them, you know, yes, maybe you will opt out of out of extension. You're out of foster care. You don't have a social worker anymore. Or they choose not to be connected to that foster family. I'm here as long as they want. 
Not just me. I mean, our our entire program, once they turn 18, they can qualify to live in our safe house if they need a place to live. I know some of the kids, as soon as they turn 18, they're like, I'm out and they want to leave. So we have the option for them as well. But I think for them to have a consistent person or people in their life for years to come really is a common denominator in helping them be successful. Yeah. So if someone is listening who has listened to this podcast and really wants to help be involved in fighting human trafficking and might be interested to be a family, a safe haven for these kids, what would you say to them and what does that process look like? I would say like if they're interested in becoming a foster parent or helping children or youth who have been trafficked, I would say like becoming a therapeutic foster parent is a great way to do that. Like I said, the placements we received are higher. They've experienced, generally have experienced more trauma and have more behaviors. And some of those behaviors or traumas come from being sexually abused or trafficked and things like that. So I think a good place to start is if that's what you can do, like becoming a therapeutic, licensed therapeutic foster parent, mm-hmm. whether that's through Bethany or elsewhere. But, yeah. but you <laughs> um, are actively recruiting families right now, yes, right? Yes, we are. Mm-hmm. So we, like I said, we launched in 2020. And of course, with COVID, that made things a little more challenging Uh (laughs) than a normal Uh year. But yeah, so we we are actively recruiting um, foster parents for Bethany Christian Services in Nashville. So that's awesome. So you do come from a faith perspective. Your organization does. So what about faith communities and churches? If they want to get involved on a congregational level, what could that look like? What opportunities are available for them? Of course, there's becoming a foster parent. That's one way. Or just honestly, like getting the word out or even just supporting. And there's a few different organizations in Nashville that specifically focus on wrapping around families who are fostering, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's helping with babysitting, bringing meals to them, praying for them, different things like that. So there's so many different opportunities in Nashville and the greater Nashville area to get involved with whether that's becoming a foster parent or foster family, or even just supporting families who are fostering, which... Mm-hmm. I know if I was a foster parent, like I would want all the support I can get from the people around me. So that's a great way to get involved as well. Yeah. And gosh, I see so many opportunities. A lot of churches do a wonderful thing of supporting families through adoption, through mm-hmm. foster care. But what if there was some more conversation about what exploitation looks like in the United States, yeah. not just trafficking across the world, which is which is important that we understand that too. But it would be a really great opportunity to then partner alongside someone like you to say, Mm -hmm. why don't we take a meal each week to these families who are supporting children who have been through this? Mm -hmm. So I see so many opportunities for that. I like that idea. Yeah. (laughs) Well, hopefully in the next year or so, we might have one Mm -hmm. of those designated homes up and going for some of the trafficked youth that we work with. That would be great. And I'm sure they could use all the help they can get. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. So this is a very difficult thing that these foster families are walking into. And even though you provide a lot of training, which is wonderful, I would say that no amount of training for anyone ever prepares you for being a parent and especially not for being a parent with a child who might have some very difficult things that they've been up against and some trauma and difficult behavioral issues. So do you have ways in which a foster family might be able to just have a weekend where the child is safe elsewhere and maybe there's just a time where they can spend a little bit of time alone. What does that look like? 
Yes, it's so important for us that our foster families take care of themselves, right? Because you can't help someone else unless you're pouring into yourself at least a little bit, some self-care there. So one of the things that we offer, it's called respite. So it's like when that instance where let's say you had a weekend, you wanted to just get away or spend some time with your spouse, or if you're a single foster parent, spend some time with yourself, maybe at a little Airbnb, like that can be set up. It just needs to We need to know in advance so we can find a place for that child just for some short-term care. But you're allotted two days per month of respite, and that's 48 hours. So you can use that how you like. So like an afternoon to run errands, or if you want like a longer overnight stay, like we can set that up. It's just all communication. Well, and it's, I think even normal parents, Marissa, Mm -hmm. you probably have times where you need to have someone else take care of your child for an afternoon or for a weekend. It's it's healthy for both parties, I would think. I think especially when it's been like, you know, a high stress time with, let's just say you're busy with work and your personal life and your child's crying a lot or having a hard time, kind of all adds up. And you, like you said, you got to take care of yourself. Like, I don't want to lash out in anger, mm-hmm. you know, because I have too much on my plate or just shut down and just want to sleep all day, you know, mm-hmm. just say it can look different. So I feel like those breaks that you offer to foster parents, much, much needed. Can I have that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. If there's a family listening who would be interested to be a foster family, especially for trafficked youth and would be interested in the services you offer, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, one way to do that is to go to our website, bethany.org slash Nashville, and you'll find information there about all our different programs, but also our foster care program. Or you can email me, um, ilink at bethany.org is my email address. Um, yeah, so there's a couple different ways you can awesome. reach out. And we'll put it in the show notes too, the website and any information that they can use to get in touch with you. Thank you guys for sharing today. This has been wonderful. So good to hear about it. Yeah. We like to give tangible ways to let listeners know how to get involved in the fight against trafficking, specifically as it relates to the topic of each episode. So you can be involved in the conversation of foster care in a few ways through a new campaign Governor Bill Lee has launched right here in Tennessee. It's called Tennessee Fosters Hope and it works to bring some foster care partners together to more adequately care for the youth that are in the foster care program. They're doing this by engaging churches statewide, recruiting and certifying families, and by building better systems for foster care children to be adopted. And this program is looking for individuals, churches, businesses, and volunteers to be involved. So if something about today's episode struck a chord with you, we encourage you to visit tnfostershope.tn.gov to hear more about this program. Or you can visit bethany.org to hear more about Kayla and Ivana's work with foster care youth. In Slavery, Tennessee thanks the Jones Legacy Group for their continued support of someone like me. Our production staff is Gregory Byerline, Stacy Elliott, and Marissa Brunell. Claire Bidigary Curtis is our engineer. And original music is by Zach and Maggie White. I'm Leslie Eiler-Thompson. Thank you for listening.